for joining us today. Your hosts today are Lorenzo Santos and Full Opinion and Nims Oxenhandler Newman. We have a great show for everybody today. The Democratic presidential primary is continuing to be a spectacle of sorts because you can't really keep up what's going on. I mean, Joe Biden has gotten so many new endorsements. You know, Amy Klobuchar came out and endorsed him. Pete Buttigieg came out and endorsed him. Kamala Harris came out and endorsed him. And just today, uh, you know, we see Cory Booker came out and endorsed Joe Biden. Uh, He's getting a lot of support from not just people in the political arena, but his former rivals, which is a really big deal. Uh, That's not so much happening for uh, Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders, you know, went on the television circuit, and one of his arguments about this was he he said, you know, when talking about Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg, he, he said the establishment pushed Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar out. And, I mean... Part of that can be true, um, but... Well, Amy Klobuchar is the establishment. Well, they're the establishment, but I mean, I mean, he's ignoring that people voted. So go ahead, go ahead, uh, Mims. No, I was just going to say, like, what's not establishment about Amy Klobuchar? She's hardly, like, a left-wing candidate, nor is, nor is Buttigieg, so... Like, who's, yeah. who's, who's the establishment? I guess my thing is, how does he know? I mean, it's it's just, one, how does he know? Mm-hmm. And then, two, let's just look at it. They were not polling well um, in, the, in the actual, you know, primaries. Um, and Klobuchar was, you know, aside from Tulsi, doing horribly compared to the other candidates on, on the field. Um, could she have recovered? I don't think so. As I said last week in my uh, petty diatribe, you know, she kind of what she doesn't she, she she's not she doesn't seem to have a ton of charisma. And one thing I will say that Americans tend to vote for is charisma. Um, I'm not wild about Trump, but the man he he inspires people. He gets them going. He must have some kind of charisma because he gets people excited. Well, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not placing a value judgment right, right now. Right, I'm just saying, yeah. you know, these are characteristics that our presidents tend to have. All right, thank you. Klobuchar doesn't really seem to have a ton of charisma. Um, Pete is wet behind the ears, I think, a little bit. Yeah. And I appreciate that he, you know, as I said in my petty diatribe, Got his eyebrows done for that last debate because they were out of control. But, um, you know, there's kind of more to it than that. And, you know, throughout this campaign, he's had some really significant missteps with just understanding the dynamics of how our own country works. And I'm not talking about, you know, the rules. I'm talking about the underpinnings, the social stuff that that makes things work. And, um... I appreciate that he took the time to educate himself on those things, but that kind of implies you're not ready yet. And I think that that contributed to the way his the uh, voter turnout was for him as well. Yeah, I think I think wet behind the ears is, you know, by anybody's standards, being the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, is not 
you know, it's not exactly like big stage experience. Even like it's even at least Klobuchar is like senator of a state, but like South Bend, you know, it's just a, sm a small town position, basically. Yeah, he no. he did a good job, though. I mean, at the end of the day, this guy was in the top tier. By objective standards, he did a remarkable job coming from, of course, like everyone tries to say, oh, you know, he's just the mayor of South Bend, and I, I agree with that, but at the end of the day, he, he skyrocketed from the mayor of South Bend to being a top-tier candidate. That's not insignificant by any stretch. And right. he's young enough to run multiple times. I mean, this is Joe Biden's like third time, right? So mm -hmm. think about where Pete Buttigieg stands. If he wants to keep running, he's already proven that he can come this far with this resume. If he builds on that, perhaps with a statewide office, senator, governor, whatever, uh, he, he's got quite a future ahead of him. So he's not going yeah. anywhere. Be I think I think to be to be fair, it helped that he was actually named by Obama as one of the potential leaders of for the future. I think that made a huge contribution to his ability to actually become a player on this particular stage. Um, and I think that's I really think that was a factor. I think he has a lot to offer at the same time. He has a lot of ideas of his own. Da 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 da. But I think if he had not had that kind of endorsement prior to the campaign kicking off, I don't know if he would have made it this far. Beto O'Rourke did much better against Ted Cruz than, you know, in a statewide race than, uh, than Buttigieg did in his statewide race. And he's been reminded, you know, whenever... Uh, Whenever Klobuchar and, and Buttigieg get into a fight on stage, she always loves to bring up the fact that when he ran statewide, he didn't do very well. And the reason I say this is because Beto got a pretty glowing uh, endorsement from Obama as well, and it, it didn't really do anything. So I think I think it's less about the endorsements um, and, and more about the fact that this guy was just really skilled at what he did. And I, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, uh, he also had the spectacle of being uh, the first gay candidate, and that added some excitement. But, I mean, he had a really good campaign, very disciplined message. He was polished, extremely smart, um, and just disciplined. Beto O'Rourke had to reinvent himself a, a few times, and at the end, you know, we're going to take your ARs from you. Didn't really do him a lot of favors. But um, I think, yeah. Go ahead. But, well, okay, I'll just be fair. I think, well, not fair. But um, really kind of cruel. I think Beto's problem is that he was running as Beto O'Rourke, and he did not neatly fall into either stereotypical camp. And um, so running with the name Beto and not looking like a stereotypical Latino person, I think hurt him. I really do. I think that when... Um, Americans talk about diversity. They want something they can clearly, easily identify without any question. And Beto O'Rourke, without the name Beto, is not easily identifiable as a Latino man. What does Ted Cruz look like? <laughs> His first name is Ted. Grandpa Munster. But, <laughs> I don't you know. know what he looks like, you know. In but you don't know what Grandpa Munster looks like? No, I know what Grandpa Munster looks like, but Ted Cruz, I, I don't know if it's, like, based on... He doesn't, doesn't read as, as Latino. We, we elected Barack Obama. Yeah. 
for Barack Obama, uh, and Barack Obama, Barack bites. The people are going to think, oh, a certain thing, and they tend to, to uh, think that's going to be black, uh, even if they've never seen the person before. Barack Obama, that's going to be some kind of brown person. Oh, I thought it was like because Barack is actually a Hebrew name, so I always thought like, oh, he's like part until I mean until I got to know who he was better. I was like, oh, he's Jewish because. Barack. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know that names hurt anyone in the Democratic Party as much I'm, as they would elsewhere. But, but I think it depends on who you are and where and what you're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, in Texas, yeah, in the state of Texas, that's not going to be as big a deal. But once you leave Texas, the stereotypes about what it means to be Latino. If you're not in Texas, California, or Florida. People are, I don't think people really get it. You know, I mean, go ahead. And, and I know you're going to say that's not a factor and that hasn't really impacted people, but when's the last time we actually had a Latino man run for president? And let's not count Ted Cruz. Julian Castro? Um, where's Julian today? Yeah, but. It, no, and that, that's this election. No, 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 no. I'm talking about prior skill. to 2020. He, he, didn't, he didn't get there. You know, he didn't get Prior to 2020, name one. That's that's run for president prior to 2020. I, I can't off the top of my head think of I can't someone, either. But uh, we had uh, John F. Kennedy, who was a Catholic at the time, that it was a major campaign issue. And we have Bernie Sanders. Yeah, yeah, he's a people. They were saying that oh, he's, he's going to be loyal to Rome because he's... And answerable Catholic. to the Pope. And it was a major... I don't think the Democratic Party... I think we're a lot more tolerant than, than anyone else. I, if it was a general election situation, I might be more apt to agree. But the the, the Democratic Party is... We, we, we're electing transgender candidates. I, I don't think that uh, not it's, to president. it's a matter... Yeah, and even even within the Democratic Party, come on, let's be real. At that Iowa caucus, there's a video of this woman walking up and was like, "Wait a minute, Buttigieg is gay? No, no, no. She was one person, yes, but she was not the only person within the party who feels that way. I mean, that's that's just a reality. Every and you know, so you know." These stereotypes that are out there, people want to see. And I'll give you another example of why I think the stereotype is important. We're talking about the vice presidency now. This is a big deal because whether it's Bernie or Biden, doesn't matter which one it is, they're both old. Okay? So there's a very realistic possibility that the VP may need to step into their shoes. So people are looking at a younger candidate, yeah. and these are the other two criteria they, they're providing. A person of color and a woman. Notice nowhere in there are we mentioning anything about credentials or ability. Well, they're all qualified. That's that's a given. I'm not getting there. I'm not there yet. Yes, they're all qualified. But why can't we talk about the fact that they're qualified? Why do we have to talk about the fact that it's a black woman who's younger that they want to consider? Because the common I mean, denominator is they're all qualified. No, it's not. That's not the common denominator. Well, if that was the common denominator, we would just talk about the fact that they're qualified. The, 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 so the selection criteria has nothing to do with their qualifications. If it did, they wouldn't be scouring the country to look at all the possible black female um, options who are in politics. All of them, regardless. But who, who is we? Like the, the list is actually pretty short, at least for the Biden yes, campaign. It is. 
the list, well, I don't know what the Biden campaign's list is. Abrams, Kamala Harris. Those are the top two two names. And then Warren, obviously. Did, 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 did they say that? Yeah. Or is that released. what people are saying? That's, 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 been, that. that's reported. That. I mean, these, these are people who, obviously we know that Elizabeth Warren is immensely qualified. She could be president right now, except she's dealing with the realities of the electorate. And sometimes in, in like presidential politics, like you said, there's just different dynamics that kind of create this issue. Like even Hillary Clinton, obviously we know that from a fundamental qualification standpoint, she would be so much better as, as a commander-in-chief actually doing the job. But guess what? There's this pesky thing called an election, right? Even, even the... Uh, even even the Republican side of the House, where Bush and them, you know, they talk about elections getting in the way, right, as a joke. But uh, that's you have to win an election before you get power, before you can actually do the job and and govern. So, at the end of the day, these people are all qualified. I don't think there's a question if any of these women are qualified, and if they weren't, then then we could start there. But well, been like, like over time, it's been like. Okay, so this is like a East Coast person for president, so we need like, you know, somebody from the South, or it's, it's a rural person, and we need a, an urban person to balance them. Like, it's always been that, that game, like, not necessarily about gender or race before, but it's always like, okay, so who's going to balance that one? Like, in every election, they talk about that for vice president. They do. I just find it really interesting that in this particular election, those criteria are not being discussed. It's only, and here's the funny part, and you know, because I talk to a lot of people, mm -hmm. I don't hear black people saying the VP has to be black. I don't mm -hmm. hear Latino people saying the VP has to be Latino. I hear white liberals saying that. I don't hear, um, I, and again, when it comes to the VP has to be a, a woman since, you know, there's, it's not going to be a woman candidate forward. I don't hear women of color saying that. Again, so this is all of this is to feed one specific demographic group's need to feel diverse. And the funny part is they're not the, the people that make the, the party diverse. The people who make the party diverse don't care about that. They don't. That what they're looking for is somebody who's capable, who's able, and who's going to add to that ticket so that there's a guaranteed win, or hopefully a guaranteed win. That's what they're looking at. So, you know, and it's, it, I, I cannot help but think that once again, in the interest of taking the moral high ground that nobody thought was, that all the people who fit the, de the demographics of diversity are looking at, they don't think it's a moral high ground. They just think it's, it's, unnecessary um, an unnecessary play for loyalty. Nobody cares um, really what the race of the VP is going to be. What they care about is, is this person someone who's going to be able to step up to the plate at the end of the day? Is this person somebody who's going to bring us additional votes so that we can get to the end of the day? That's what that's what I'm hearing from people of color. But for some reason, the Democratic Party d thinks that it's a big issue for for people of color, and it's not. It's not. Well, everyone's talking about the top of the ticket being two old white guys. So I, I think that just by definition does beg the question: uh, Does the ticket need to be rounded out with diversity? And uh, again. One of the biggest questions about the Iowa caucuses for the Democratic side of the House was 
Should we keep doing them? Why should we keep having the first in the nation caucus in a state that's about 90% white? It does not reflect the party. That same argument is being extended, I believe, to the ticket itself. And I think that's fair, and I think it makes sense. So I don't think it's this it's a gimmick or it's just this cynical thing that the party's looking at. I think it's a very valid concern. If we have okay. if we have white people leading the ticket right now and literally there's no women anymore, the ticket should be rounded out with at least a woman now. It's time. It, it is time to have a woman vice president or president. See, that's the part that bothers me. It's not that it's time to have a woman president or vice president. Okay. It's time to have a competent president who isn't picked simply because he has testicles. But there's That's so, what it's time for. So, so it's like, if we're going to look at viable candidates for vice president, I think Val Demings in Florida, a state the Democrats desperately need, is a viable option. How much but for some reason, her name... Go ahead, sorry. But her name's not even on the on the table, it seems like. How many like. people have heard of her? I don't even know who she is. Like, no one, no one, who's going to vote? We don't have time to get her name elevated. Really? Because here's the thing. Let's get, um, everybody loves Stacey Abrams when they're not talking crap about how she looks. Everybody loves Kamala Harris until we talk about the fact that she was California's top cop or that she imprisoned a lot of people. A lot of people of color have a lot of, a lot of issues around Kamala Harris. So what's left? Um, since we're not considering men, Cory Booker's out of the out of the running, right? Since we're not considering men, Julian Castro's out of the running, right? Beto's out of the running, right? So you know th the two people that folks are looking at are people whom, by the way, they talked big crap about prior to the con the consideration for the vice presidential role. Yeah. So the part, if people within the party yes. were talking crap about these people before we considered them for a VP role even, how successful, how much do you think they're going to add to the ticket? A lot, because Joe Biden did it once. <laughs> Joe Biden said a lot of racist stuff in the past, right? No, I'm not talking about in the past. I'm talking about within the past 12 months. Well, I'm trying to bring the point home. Joe okay. Biden said a lot of things in the past that would have made it hard for him to be Barack Obama's <laughs> VP. You know, when he was talking about Barack Obama when he was coming up in, in the Senate, he talked about how he was eloquent, right, and all this stuff. And it's just like, wait a minute, you, you're saying racist stuff about this guy? It, which, which, you know, I don't think in his heart he felt it was racist, but it, it was just very inappropriate. And then all of a sudden now he's supposed to be this person's VP. And then, of course... Biden has been in the Senate for a long time, and he has this record that has hurt black folks. His record has always been there, even when he was being chosen and vetted to become the vice presidential nominee. So I don't think if, if, if Joe Biden's credentials and resume and record did not hurt him from being Barack Obama's, the first black president's vice presidential pick, I don't think even the, the uh, attacks against Kamala Harris for being top cop will stop her. No candidate is perfect. That's why you have a good oppo um, team that goes and finds stuff on your, your opponent so that you can fight back. And then Let's you, just be real. The well, oppo teams have been sucky for the past two, two presidential elections. They've done a horrible job of doing 
I remember what oppo teams used to pull back. And this is what, what I don't know who's doing research now, how they're doing research now. But with the, with the advent of the, of the internet, you'd think people would do a better job of doing research on the, on other, on the other candidates, and they're, they're just doing a horrible job. That's well, my thing number one. Okay, sorry. No, I'm sorry. Two. I'm just blithering now. What's thing two? number two. Thing number two. Let's be real. Biden was on Obama's ticket because of his record. Okay? His record made a lot of people comfortable that Barack was not going to go into the White House and suddenly throw up a black power fist. Yeah, true, true. Like, oh, he's, he'll, he'll mitigate, like, that we have a black president. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. So that's a completely different scenario from Biden going into the White House and selecting a VP. We don't have to mitigate Biden. Yeah, okay? we do. That's exactly what we have to do. Who, what, who are the majority of the voters? Yeah, but, but not like the racist, like the people with like their racist, you know, like the, a lot of liberal people with the, you know, underneath there's like a racial fear or, you know, so Biden is the majority. So exactly what is there to mitigate? There's all these uh, dementia talks and attacks that are hitting him. That's just ageist. Like he's it's not ageist though. And in, in certain ways, he's actually bringing these attacks on himself when he says things like i, I get he has a stutter and and, and, he, and he has a hard time getting sentences out but that's part of campaigning a lot of a lot of retail politics is literally just about how you look and sound just that feeling you get so he's hurting himself when he when he says things like we gotta elect donald trump basically we gotta elect donald he's like, we can't not re-elect donald trump and it just sounds terrible so i'm just going to point out that that supports my argument that Democrats also like people who fit neatly into certain boxes. Because that's actually a very ableist point of view. If you, and anybody who, who's ever had a family member or what have you with a stutter, you know how that stuff comes out sometimes. Mm -hmm. It comes out really messed up. And it's not because that's what they're trying to say. It's because, well, you know, being on the campaign trail is wearying it, it will break you down and the more tired you are the more extreme your stutter can become yeah. so you know the fact that he has a stutter and everybody knows he has a stutter but still in all you have this whole conversation around dementia and etc etc going on which is a very ableist thing to do considering we all know he already has a stutter um screams volumes and supports what I've been saying about people being able to fit into the boxes and why Beto never was going to make it out of Texas as a Latino candidate because he didn't seem Latino to anybody outside of a, a large Latino population state. I, this ableist, ableist is almost, so that's a negative connotation. Yeah, it's true, it's like... Because he's what, what? What evidence is there that he has dementia? There's all these memes going around of him, like, you know, oh look, look, he says he has Alzheimer's. There's, there's no evidence about that. It, it doesn't like, even matter if it's not dementia. He's literally saying things that sounds like he's endorsing the other guy. It's not good. Well, he's as Ola was saying, like this. It's the, you know, the stutter. My, yeah. you know, my, my sister, Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, my sister is a speech therapist, mm -hmm. and that she can even see, like, like he's doing pretty good with his stutter, you know, in terms of, 
being able to get the point up, but it's not it's not perfect. Can I ask a question here then? Um, one of the things when people run for president is they say day one, right? That's 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 a common refrain. I'll be ready from day one. I don't think that expecting the president of the United States to be a good and effective communicator, because we have seen what happens when they're not. Well, actually, Donald Trump is a very effective communicator. He just speaks at a fifth grade level, which yeah. may or may not be a bad thing, because yeah. um, it's worked for him. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that in the negative connotation of ableist which basically comes off as as discrimination i I don't think it's too much for us to expect the president of the united states the man or woman with the most powerful microphone in the world to be able to speak effectively i don't think that's a bad thing and and it is it is a fair line of attack to affect his ability to communicate i don't like it but it is fair but he does speak i mean he's been on that hill for how many years about as many as bernie right well, okay, and he are, he's accomplished a lot. He's interacted with people overseas on the world stage and gotten a lot of stuff done with the same speech impediment, right? Yeah. So he's effective. He gets it done. That's, the speech impediment does not prevent him from getting things done. The problem is, like I said, it's about how people perceive what they want someone to look and sound like all the time, regardless. So, Lorenzo, you said you said um, looking at ableist as a negative. When could it be a positive? Well, what I'm saying is that discrimination is a bad thing. Okay, but in certain contexts, it is not. Uh, it, it is not inappropriate to expect for certain levels of capability. And if we're going to look at who our chief communicator and our chief diplomat and the person who will wield the bully pulpit is, they should be an effective communicator. And I don't think that fits into the, the negative connotation of ableist. It's not in that same discriminatory vein. We, we should oh, have someone who is president who can... Aff- who can communicate effectively. I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's... I think it's totally... I don't even like totally, Biden. Go ahead, go ahead, Oma. No, I think it's totally ableist in the negative discriminatory fashion that I said. And the reason it is, is because he's already done everything all of the other candidates are saying they can do. He's already done it. He's already been overseas in, in Ukraine negotiating. He's already been working with international, other international co- countries on the international stage. He's already been making, passing legislation and getting things through and convincing people to jump on his bandwagon to get stuff done. So he's already done all of the stuff all of the other candidates are saying they will do yeah, or that they can do. He's I, done it. I don't like him because of, I mean... I'll never forget the Anita Hill hearings. Like, I do think he's a misogynist. And, like, I, I will vote blue no matter what if Bernie doesn't get it. But to, to like, not be in favor of him because he has a stutter is just, that's wrong. And it doesn't even, I mean, as Willa said, he's he's been around the world. He does conduct business. And to rule somebody out on that basis is just, is really wrong to me. I don't, I don't think people are ruling it out completely because of that. I, I just, I'm saying it's a fair line of attack in terms of you need someone who is an effective communicator. 
this person is expected to speak for the entire country or in some time in some cases the entire world now to answer the whole he's done this and that hillary clinton was one of the, you know when she was the most popular when she was tucked away as secretary of state she was the same person she had done the job she had her record the moment she decided she wanted to become president all of a sudden her numbers plummet because people start changing you know what what they support about her but even lizzie graham had written a piece supporting and praising hillary clinton as a smart and strong and effective senator um and and you can see that if you if you watch her new uh documentary on hulu and it was a very um effective portrayal of of her life now in politics you there's a phrase right you campaign in poetry and you govern in prose uh like it or not though campaigns are a lot of the time about theater about how you present yourself those things are very important now if it was all about policy we would have a lot of different presidents in the past you have to present yourself to the american people effectively and that's really important to do and that's why I don't think it's too much. Like I am a, you know, I think Joe Biden is a very effective uh, person and, and politician, and he was a very loyal vice president. Uh, and I don't think this is going to stop him. So I don't even think this is like this isn't you know a showstopper. But his ability to communicate effectively um, is something that is going to be hit hard. It's something that already is hurting him. Just just as Donald Trump, people used his fifth grade speaking level against him it's fair game your ability to communicate if you're if you're running for president of the united states your ability to communicate is fair game i'm not arguing i'm not arguing that they can't address his ability to communicate i'm arguing that equating his speech impediment to dementia is problematic that's just dirty politics as it's happening on and both sides well, yeah, and but I'm not, but I never argued it was right either way. And I mean, if you go back and look at stuff I said when people were trying to talk about Trump has a mental health condition, I'm like, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I don't study people's brains, and I don't have a comment on the matter. And people were like, "Well, but can't you see?" I said, "No, because I'm not a trained professional. I can't see anything. And even if I were a trained professional, I've never sat with him, and so that's inappropriate." For people to be throwing out diagnoses about people like that. And, you know, there has to be at some point we need to raise the level of debate and start saying certain things are beyond the pale. It is beyond the pale to make all kinds of unproven, unsubstantiated allegations because we don't like a politician. That's not acceptable. And that just furthers the divide such that we can't have conversations. You can't bridge the divide. You can't get things done. So now here we are in the midst of, you know, what is very possibly going to be a pandemic, the coronavirus. And because we can't bridge the divide and people are doing things in an extremely partisan manner, our debt has blown up out of control. So if we did need to inject the economy with government money, you know, the question comes up, is it even sustainable? And I realize I just totally shifted the conversation, which wasn't my point. My main point is that we've gotten to this point 
where all we do is talk crap about people, whether it's valid or not, and that crap, unproven crap, becomes an actual discussion point. Yep. But it's also, those attacks are not coming from the Democratic side, so I don't, I don't think it's actually going to necessarily have that big of an effect on the primary itself. Um, those attacks are coming from the Democratic side. I there are a lot of Democrats Biden. attacking Oh, I've him. seen them. I've seen a lot. I, there's, there are several people and several groups I am in that are liberal groups, and the Burning Fan Club is regularly posting about how Something's wrong with Biden. They're not Democrats. Well, you can't say that. They consider themselves Democrats. And many of them vote in Democratic Democratic Socialists. It's different. They even say it. They want to point it out. They're not Democrats. I mean, I'm, I'm, because you vote for a Democratic Socialist doesn't mean that you're not affiliated with the Democratic Party. And Bernie has also disavowed those people, so they're not even affiliated with him. He's already said he's he's not with those folks. How 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 are you going to disavow people that I know contribute to his campaign? I mean, the the most he can do is condemn their remarks. And I mean, obviously, if he know he if he can track the campaign down to someone saying something unkind, then I think he would do that. But then you're getting into the nth degree, and I don't I don't know that's even I don't know that that's possible, possible either. I'm just pointing out that these are things you know. I don't care which side of the divide you're on. Yeah. If somebody points out bad behavior is occurring, each side is very quick to say, that's not happening in my camp. Yes, it is. It's happening in everybody's camp, this bad behavior. And instead of addressing where you have some level of control, it's more what I hear more often is, that's not us, that's them. And it's No, it's not. It's Everybody's doing this. And maybe you're not doing it. But, you know, if you, if you look at the, the gestalt of the whole thing, everybody's doing it. Not to defend, um, you know, Donald Trump and, and some of the negative things he's been saying or whatever and, and some of the clearly anti-bipartisan remarks he's been making, basically accusing Democrats of um, spreading the coronavirus or hoping it spreads or whatever. But Congress has bipartisan, uh, unanimously, by, you know, not unanimously, unanimously, but uh, in a bipartisan manner, funded, uh, you know, fighting back against coronavirus. So that, that's something to be said. Um, they definitely oh. work together to do that. So that's a positive in, in all that's this. That's a crazy. positive. That is a positive. What I was talking about was a potential situation that we don't have the means to, to handle. And a good example of that, and I'm just going to segue right into it, is today's market, um, I don't know if I want to call it a correction. We'll just say the market dropped. Yeah. Okay? The market dropped. The 7% dropped. It sent a lot of people into panic. Okay? And the reason a lot of people are in the panic, and one of the things I, I'm reading and hearing about is the problem is that we have a ton of solutions for changes in the supply side. But this isn't a supply side issue. This is a demand side issue. And there are really only a very few limited options in the demand side. When all of a sudden people aren't buying, using, or what have you, um, certain things. (coughs) And usually that's an injection of money into the economy by the government. 
And right now our debt is so out of control because of this bipartisan thing where once we get into power, whoever's in power, we start giving a lot of money to our supporters without figuring out how we're going to pay this down. I recognize their exceptions. Thank you, Obama. But the reality is that that debt keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. At some point, and we've already lost, uh, our credit ratings already dropped in the past decade once, right? Once or twice. And, you know, at what point are we going to be able to continue to take on debt because we're really not being fiscally responsible as a nation? And that's what I think about when I think about this drop in the stock market today, is that we are not in a position, if we were to have an emergency, to take care of our own. We're not in that position. We're not in a position where if we needed to do a lockdown like Italy has done, we couldn't, I don't think we could fund it. What do you think, Mims? Well, I'm just trying to think, has there ever been a time that the U.S. has been financially solvent? <laughs> That's a good question. You know I'm going to look for that now. <laughs> I'm going to defer to Lorenzo on that one. No, I, I think either way right now, you know, the, the U.S. isn't... It isn't in a position to, you know, we, we had what, the last time we had a balanced budget was under Bill Clinton, and that quickly went away. Um, the balanced budget doesn't mean no debt. I, I understand that, but it does mean response, fiscal responsibility. Mm -hmm. And right now, we are continuing to raise our debt to China. Uh, the deficit is increasing in ways that, you know, I don't think we even anticipated. Trump was even asked on Fox News, are, are you going to cut spending to deal with the deficit? And he said, he said we're, yeah, of course we're going to make cuts to, to, you know, spending. And we're going to have growth like you've never seen before. That's, here's the thing. That makes, that makes a lot of his followers happy, but notice he really didn't answer the question. That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. You just, there were, there's no specifics there. Well, on the other side, you have Elizabeth Warren who has a plan for everything. Like our solvency is not, we're not, we're not going to be solved. That just, that's not something that's going to happen. But can, can we at least take, you know, efforts to, to bring down the deficit and um, we're not going to balance our budget. That's just no way. It's just not going to happen. But we're, we're not even doing like the elementary steps that would, that would start to get us in a position where we're at least being physically responsible about uh, our, our debt and deficit and, and um, spending levels. We're losing trillions of dollars. You know, I don't even understand how we do that. We, we just we lose trillions in, 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 in the Department of Defense alone. So it just doesn't make sense. So to answer your question, Mims, the one and only time in history that we ever paid off the entire national debt was under Andrew Jackson oh, wow. in 1835, mm -hmm. which I find hilarious because he was considered to be kind of a hillbilly president. Yep. Like, like, you know, not going to say any names, but we'll just say Trump. Um, and so that's the only time ever. But what's interesting, though, is when you look at how the debt 
has grown. Yeah. And it's at this point where we, I don't think we can afford to, you know, can we even afford to keep up with the interest? No. I mean, <laughs> we're not in any position to do any of it. It's, this debt is, it's not the same way, like, you know, us, when we take out a loan or something and we have to pay it back, it's just, there's no, I don't think there's any, ever any real expectation. There's just interdependence. And this is why America First does not actually make any sense. Because if, if other countries decide to start doing that, like how Trump's like, oh, NATO's not paying their fair share and all that stuff. If other countries decide to start treating us like that, namely China, and they actually were like, well, America, when are you going to pay down your debt? It just doesn't make any sense. The reason why all this works is because we are inter interdependent. We do have uh, coalitions and alliances, and we and we work together. That's that's why it's okay for for us to be in these certain situations where you know, if if there were ever a situation where there were enough friction and there were calls for certain payments to be made, it just wouldn't happen. And then when you have when when that happens. Probably get into a war because that—that's really the only you know option after that. So just there's no way we're ever going to get out of this um, anytime soon, if, if ever. So it, it's really just a matter of getting as close to you know semblance of responsibility as possible. And I'm just going to add to that, just so you guys know, the last time our debt to GDP ratio was this high was in the 40s. Mm -hmm. That was the last time our debt-to-GDP ratio was this high. Um, and, you know, that would have been, what was that? That was right on the tail end of, of the uh, Great Depression, a little bit after, trying to rebuild the economy and also dealing with World War II at, World War II at the same time. Right, which... So we were dealing with economic. an economic crisis and a war, and that was the last time our GDP, our debt-to-GDP ratio was over 100%, which is where we are now. And we haven't, and we, we're not even in the middle of a crisis. I mean, we weren't going into this in the middle of a crisis. Um, my apologies, guys. I do need to drop... Um, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for taking a minute to talk about today's market drop with me. But I hope you guys carry on without me. Okay, thanks for joining us, Ula. Uh, Mims, do you want to talk about uh, that Jay uh, publishing decision? Well, yeah, just briefly. Um, so Hachette, um, I don't know if it was yesterday or two days ago, made this decision to drop the contract with Woody Allen to publish his memoir based on, um, okay, so Ronan Farrow has, has a book with Hachette, and then he dropped Hachette because they were going to publish Woody Allen's um, memoir, and a bunch of, I think, 75 employees, which, you know, what's interesting is number of employees, but they, it, you know, it was enough to make a difference, supported um, Roman Farrow and uh, Dylan Farrow. So I, for one, um, am happy with that decision. And what has really struck me is how many people, um, including writers, including 
Stephen King, who I generally think of myself as being on the same page as, um, and actually Penn, which is, uh, you know, the, uh, the American Penn, the Association of Writers, are saying that they're, they're worried because, you know, it's a precedent for um, not giving people their First Amendment rights. But the way I see it, not, not publishing somebody's book, I mean, especially with somebody with the financial resources and the, you know, the fame of Woody Allen, that's not violating somebody's rights. He can get his book published in so many different ways. He can self-publish. I actually read that um, France is probably going to publish his memoir. So when I send out work to be published and I get a rejection, it's, I can't say First Amendment. They just don't choose to publish it. So to me, it's, it's emblematic of how much our, our culture in general is more worried about um, um, not uh, accused um, alleged abusers. They're more worried about the ability of alleged abusers to get out their story than they ever are about sexual assault. So that, that to me is, um, it's really uh, troubling. Absolutely, I agree. Well, that's that's a good take, and and thank you for uh, sharing that story. Thanks, everyone, for joining the Rudder News Roundtable. Be sure to leave a rating and review for us if you like what you heard today. It helps more people find us, and we'd be very appreciative. Tune in on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you get your podcast. You can also send comments to communications at rudernews.com, and we can read yours in the next episode. Until next time, Rudder Nation.